Well, hey, New City, good to be with you again on this Sunday morning or whenever you might find yourself listening or watching this. It's hard to believe that this is week two of us not being able to gather together. And as we're all living in this moment together, we're all living through this massive uh, time where things are not going as planned, right? You might have had vacations planned or trips planned or just grocery store trips planned, things with your kids, you know, hanging out with your friends, all these things that we had planned are now no longer happening. And I think we can all relate to many times in our lives when this has happened before, although maybe not to this scale. I can remember a time where I was really excited about going on a cruise. Uh, Christine and I were going on a cruise about four years ago. And uh, this was the second cruise we've ever been on. The first one we went about three years before that with some friends. And so this one, we were going on this cruise. So we, we planned for it. I was excited. If you're like me, you're, I'm very budget conscious. And so cruises are nice because you pay everything up front and then you don't have to worry about it. So we planned for it. We're excited. Uh, we get to the boat. And I, I should have known already from the beginning that this was not going to go as I was hoping. Uh, the boat was a different ship than the ship that we went on previously, a different name, but it had the same exact layout, which is kind of a bummer because you spend a lot of time on the, on the boat and so you're hoping it looks different. Uh, and they spent the whole cruise telling us how next month it was gonna be completely renovated. And so I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm like, why are you telling me this? Because I'm not on the cruise a month from now. I'm on the cruise now. To make it worse, the second day was a five-day cruise. The second day of the cruise, I got sick. Not motion sick or seasick. I just got like sick sick. I was tired. I had a little bit of a fever. Didn't feel good. And so from days two to four, I was sick the whole time. And, and try to enjoy it the best you can. But when you don't feel good, uh, you know, you, you can eat all this food. I didn't eat a lot of food those, during those times. And it, it makes it worse. Uh, one, of the, one of the days where we're supposed to dock and you, you get to dock at certain places and go and and see the places that you stay at. Uh, one, of the, one of the days we're supposed to dock at this uh, island that, that Carnival owns. The Carnival is the ship that we, the cruise line that we were with. Uh, and because they own the island, the food is free. All the activities are free. You don't have to pay for anything. It's like one of their best rate, uh, rated places that they stop. But because the water was too choppy, they said, sorry, we can't dock today. We're gonna have just another day on the boat, which meant like sitting around and me being miserable. And so that was a bummer. But then finally, the last full day of the cruise, I felt better, so I was like, well, I'm gonna make up for lost time, I'm gonna eat a bunch of food today, and I'm gonna you know, be able to do things and not feel bad. The problem was there was a hurricane coming, and so we had to get back to port, which we reported in Charleston quicker, and so the waves were choppy, the boat was kind of going up and down because it was going no faster than it was normally supposed to, and our room was on the very front of the ship, which made Christina seasick, and so we couldn't stay in our room, and so we had to stay on the top of the deck somewhere, and so the last day, I finally feel good, now she is sick, and then we actually port on Saturday night uh, before we're supposed to get off Sunday morning because we had to get back in time, and so we stayed on the boat till Sunday morning to kind of finish the cruise. But all that is to say, it was miserable, it was not fun, it did not go as planned. And again, all of us are living in that time right now, so the question I wanna spend a few minutes looking at uh, today is this. What should we do when life doesn't go as planned? What do we do right now when everything that we had planned for a couple of weeks ago is no longer happening. What do we do when life doesn't go as planned? Real quick, if you are not familiar with New City, if you've never been with us before, my name is Dylan Dotson. I'm the pastor here. And I just wanna say this, as this time of us not being able to physically gather together, uh, we're gonna have a lot of stuff on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel and our website, newcityrdu.com, a bunch of resources. So make sure that you follow us. And one other thing really quickly for our New City Church family, uh, we have created a coronavirus support fund on our website. Uh, and so if you have extra during this time and you, you don't anticipate being impacted financially and you wanna give to those who are going to be impacted financially, 
You can go to newcityrdu.com slash give and select the coronavirus giving fund. And for those of you that are part of our New City family and are experiencing or will experience some financial loss, please reach out to uh, us as a church. And we want to do everything that we can to support and love one another. But that said, again, what should we do? When life doesn't go as planned, I want to take a few minutes and look at a passage from James chapter four, where he's literally talking about this topic. And so in James chapter four, uh, James is the half brother of Jesus. And what's significant about James is from best we can tell, he didn't really believe that Jesus, his brother was the Messiah until after his resurrection which shows us that this something significant happened with Jesus because none of us would go around saying that our brothers or our sister was the Messiah. Like we all know the dirt on all of our siblings. And yet something happened with Jesus that made, made James say, no, he is the son of God. Now, James in the New Testament is probably the most practical book in terms of what does it look like for us to practically live out our faith We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Christ has done for us. But as we follow Jesus, it should impact how we live. And so it's an extremely practical book of what does it look like to live out our faith. And so in James chapter four and verse 13, he starts by saying this. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so the context of what's happening here, here in James chapter four, he's kind of pivoting. And right here, he's likely talking to wealthy uh, business, Christian business owners, people that are doing well financially. And what he's saying here is it might seem weird because it's like, is he saying not to make plans? Like, isn't it wise to actually make plans? And the answer to that question is yes. In fact, in the book of Proverbs and other places throughout scripture and just human wisdom says you should plan financially, you should plan for your future, you should have dreams, uh, you should have goals, you should plan. However, he's warning these Christians who are a little bit well, more well off financially to not adopt the worldview that others uh, in their culture had at that time. Uh, the worldview that says, if I'm able to control my surroundings and my environment and my finances, I'm going to make all of my plans and I'm not going to consider God in them. What James is saying is that your life, my life is but a mist. We do not control really anything. And if we falsely believe that we don't need God, and if we don't include him in our plans, that is going to not go well for us. What he's saying is planning and investing. It's not that they're wrong. But what's wrong is that self-confidence and boasting that what you say you're going to do without considering God, that it's actually going to happen is wrong. Now, here's the reality. I know in our culture today, a lot of us, especially with the coronavirus, might be struggling financially. So I'm not saying life is easy, but in America with modern technologies and the, uh, the, the things that we have access to, most people in human history haven't had access to. So it's really easy for us to plan activities, plan things that we're going to do and not really consider God in them. It it reminds me of a time, man, it's probably about six years ago now, where, you know, long story short, Christine and I, my wife and I, we got married between our junior and senior year of college. Uh, We stayed uh, in the Wilmington area where we went to college for a few years and we joined uh, this church plant because I was, you know, we were thinking, man, we might want to do this one day. And so a couple of years into the church plant, I was finishing up my master's degree. And so I was kind of applying to churches that were a little bit more established, that had been around for a little bit longer because I wanted to get experience. Okay, here's what it looks like in the beginning. Here's what it looks like when things are kind of a little bit more established. And so I was looking at all these churches, 
couldn't get a job anywhere, nothing was working, and I was about to finish my degree, so I was like, well, you know what, I just have to get a job, and we'll figure out, figure out this ministry thing later. And so uh, the week after, a couple days after, I stopped looking for ministry jobs, I'm just looking for like a real normal job, I get this message from someone that said, hey, uh, I heard you're looking for, you know, a ministry, you know, looking for some church jobs, a pastor job, are, are you still interested, are you still looking? And I'm thinking, Oh, see, this is just God saying, you know, Dylan, stop trying to control it on your own. Just trust me and I'll provide. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. So I say, sure. So he, he was about a two hour, this church was about two hours outside of Wilmington. So Christina and I drove up one day, but with the pastor, he's talking about the church. It was a multi-site church and wanted me uh, to be an assistant campus pastor at one of their locations. And he was very optimistic. And I think his motives were 100% pure. He was really excited about what his church was doing. And so he was saying, here's what this would look like. We'd love to have you. Uh, and so we drove back a couple days later. I drove back with myself, uh, met with him again. We kind of met some of the staff and I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. And so he was kind of basically at the end of the day, he was like, all right, so let's make this thing official. Uh, Let's sign this piece of paper so that you can come on staff in a couple of weeks or a month or so. And I'm like, okay, I I guess I'll do it. And then he said, and we'll pay you 500 bucks a month. And then you have to raise your own financial support for the rest of it. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess I'd do it. And, and so I, I signed the paper, I, I took the job, I go home, I tell Christina about it, and she looks at me and she goes, are you serious? You took a job, we haven't even been there on a Sunday yet. Like, you don't even know if you're gonna like it. I don't even know if I'm gonna like it. And I'm thinking, but yes, I, I hear that. I probably shouldn't have signed it right away, but churches are church, like, we'll make it work. It'll be fine, no big deal. Again, didn't talk to Christina about it, so she was kind of like, I'm not sure that you know, how, how I'm feeling about this. And so a couple of days later, a week or two later, we go up on a Sunday, you know, just to verify that everything was good. And it was awful. It was, it was awful. And I don't say awful as in like one church is better than the others, but like they had a lot of the issues that the, the church, that campus was dealing with were issues that our church plant had already been through. And so for me, I'm like, well, I want to learn about new things, not about issues that we've already been dealing with as a church plant. Uh, it was not a culture that really fit us well. I mean, the whole thing about it was just, it wasn't us. And so we drove back home to Wilmington that afternoon in silence. Christina was understandably upset, upset with me that I said I was going to take this job. And we found out that this was not a good fit at all. You see, what happened there is that I did not consider Christina's wisdom. I made a plan. I went for it. I did it on my own. And then things did not work out the way that I thought they were going to do. And I think for us, this is how, how we can often find ourselves today. Now, I think if we're being honest, I think for most of us, we do consider God with maybe the really big things, right? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I move to this place? Should I pursue this dream, right? For those big things, I think many of us probably do consider God. But for the small things, maybe for the day-to-day things, maybe for the week-to-week things, we can get comfortable or we can maybe provide for ourselves. We know kind of what to expect out of life. And so we can forget to still make our plans, but to offer them up to the Lord and to consider him, not just in the big picture things, but even in the day-to-day realities of life. You see, the point that we're seeing here is this, that the more we think we are in control, uh, the less we consider God. You see, the more we think we are in control, the less we consider God. And again, that's, I think that's a great example. Maybe you're more holy than I am, but this is how I can be de- on my default if I'm not careful. Again, I'll consider God for the big picture things, But the day-to-day things, I think that I've got it, I got under control, I don't need anybody's help, and so I don't consider him. Again, going back to that church job situation that happened to me all those years ago, you see, I assumed that the church job would be fine. I didn't consider what Christina might say or even what God might say to the situation because I was so excited about just making it happen and taking the job. 
And I think what's happening right now is that many of us are waking up to the fact that the coronavirus is showing us that we are not in control. And we're not just not in control of the big things, but we're also not even in control of the small things. We're not even in control of what's going to happen tomorrow. And so because we're not actually in control of these things, here's what James tells us to do next. In verse 15, he says this. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What he is saying is, again, you should plan, you should consider, you should dream, but you should consider what the Lord might have. You should consider him in your plans and what he might, might do. As you can probably expect, I have never ever since taken a job or made a financial decision of that magnitude like I did for that church all those years ago in the way that I did, right? I've never not considered what Christina would want, right? I've never not done that again because I learned But you've got to consider outside counsel, especially what your spouse thinks, because sometimes your spouse is smarter than you. And I know what we're facing now is difficult and it's hard, but one of the good things that I believe that God is using in this, and it is waking us up to the fact that we have no choice but to do this now. We have no choice but to consider God and even our day-to-day lives because we have no idea how things are changing each and every day. Day. In other words, you can think of it like this. I think one of the things we're learning with this coronavirus and things not going our way is this, that the degree to which we think we have control is the degree to which we will worry. The degree to which you and I think we are in a control of a situation impacts how much we will worry about it. Now, that's not the only thing that, that makes us worry, but I think it's a large part, right? The more we think we're in control and then we realize we're not in control, it changes how we're viewing the situation and it makes us really worried. I like to think of it this way. So on the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 8. Now, some of you love the Enneagram. Some of you are like, eh, it's overrated. And some of you are like, what is the Enneagram? So the Enneagram is essentially, it's a personality tool. It's really helpful behaviors and motivations and all that sort of thing. And so as an Enneagram eight, there's, there's nine, there's, there's nine different types you could be. Uh, eight's the best one. At least that's what I've heard. I think that just happens to be me. So I guess that's good uh, for me. But eights, I'm just kidding. I don't know if eight's the best one. See, the hard thing about this is there's no one here to laugh at my joke. So if you're at home, I don't know if that was good. Eights are not the best one. That's a joke. Anyway, here's the thing about eights. Eights hate being controlled. They hate being controlled. I do not want anyone to tell me what to do. I don't want anyone to be in control over me. It's like, it's a big fear of eights. In fact, it's a, it's a joke that Christina and I know, we talk about this sometimes, and it's just the reality of the situation that if Christina wants me to do something, the more that she can make it make me or make it seem like it was my idea and not her asking me to do it, the more likely I'm going to do it with a better attitude because I thought it was my idea. We hate being controlled. And so one of the ways this plays out for me is when it comes to driving. Now, typically I don't like driving. I'd rather, I don't, driving is boring, especially if I had to drive somewhere by myself. But if there's a group of us, I'm always like, someone else drive. I don't want to drive. I don't like to drive. However, if we're going somewhere where we're not quite sure how to get there, maybe we're downtown somewhere and the turns are, are quick or the GPS is, is messing us up and it's rerouting us a bunch. In those situations, 
I want to be the one in control. If we're going to be lost or get lost, I want us to be the one that gets us lost. I want to drive. And I'm one of those people too. Some people are like, you drive and the other, you know, the, the person in the, other, the front seat, you know, they get to be the, the co-pilot, the GPS person. It's like, no, when I'm driving, I have the GPS in my hand. I need to be in control, right? And so sometimes if I'm with a group of people and we're driving around and we're lost, I would rather sit in the back seat with my eyes closed and some noise canceling headphones on and just assuming we're on the highway somewhere somewhere, then be lost and not be in control. And that's what we're facing. Now, to, to be clear, I'm not trying to guilt trip any of us. Like we are humans. We are in an uncertain time. There is worry and there is an anxiety that is normal and God loves us through that. But we're waking up to the reality that we're not in control. And when we, the more we can accept that and acknowledge that truth, that it's always been true, we just kind of haven't realized it because our lives haven't been so radically changed in this manner in such a long time. The more we realize we're not in control, the less we will be anxious and the less we will worry, especially if we know the one who is. I like what Paul says in Philippians. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And he says this to them in verse 10 through 13. And to give you some context, behind one of the most well-known but misapplied verses in scripture, here's what he says, verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I myself have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. So this church in Philippi had supported Paul, had prayed for them. He had also supported his ministry financially. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I've found myself. Verse 12, I know both how to make do with little and how to make do uh, with a lot. In all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And then he says this, I am able to do all things, all things through him who strengthens me, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, depending on your translation. And this is the verse that we see on all the, on all the, on the, on the sneakers of athletes and the things that we proclaim over our lives. Whenever we're facing something difficult, what do we say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like I, I can do anything. As long as I trust Jesus, then things will go well for me. The downside is when things don't go well, then we must assume that we must have not trusted Christ enough. But this is not, this is not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here is that he has been through hardships and difficulties. He's had a little, he's had a lot. If you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's story, he's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been beaten to death, literally. Uh, He's been uh, jailed. He's been starved. Like he has been through it all for the sake of Christ. And what he's saying here is not that as long as I trust God, he will bless me in everything I do. What he's saying here is that we can trust him in being content in all circumstances. In other words, when he says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me, he's saying, I'm able to face whatever life might throw at me with peace and conviction and trust because of what Christ has done for me. As I follow and I trust in him, I can be content because of his strength, not mine. In other words, here's the point, that God doesn't promise circumstantial peace, but peace within your circumstances. God does not promise that everything will go well for you. Again, Paul, one of, the, uh, one of the heroes of the faith, lived a miserable life once he started following Jesus. By all accounts from human, you know, from what we might want out of life with just comfort and wealth and success, he had a miserable life because of his faithfulness to Jesus. 
And Jesus does not promise that everything will go well, but what he's saying is no matter what you may be facing, if you follow and trust and believe in me, you can have the strength to face it. God does not promise us circumstantial peace, but peace within our circumstances, that even as the coronavirus spreads and there's so much unknown about what is going to look like, life is going to look like, even for the next two months, that even in our worry and our anxiety, we can have peace through Christ. Now, this is not through self-effort. This is not through trying really hard or just never watching the news and blocking out and pretending life is normal. But we got to face reality for what it is. And as we follow and lean into Christ in these circumstances, we can experience peace not, not in spite of our circumstances, even when life is hard. Uh, to share with you one more passage, one more verse, I shared with you this last week, but I think it's really relevant, again, as we're looking at this question, what do we do when life doesn't go as planned? Here's what Paul, again, says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He's writing this to the church in Thessalonica, and they're worried in this section, they're worried about what happens to people when they die, like what happens to their family, their brothers and sisters, their neighbors who are followers of Christ when they die. Here's what he says, verse 13. And in chapter four, it says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. What he's not saying there again is that those who are falling asleep, again, he's referring to those that have died. He's not saying that you cannot grieve, but he's, what he's saying is that in your grief, that you and I grieve differently. We don't grieve as people who don't know the God King of the universe. We grieve as a people who have lost someone dear to us. He uses the term falling asleep because it is a temporary time between uh, when God returns and reestablishes his kingdom uh, and, and new heavens and new earth we will be all reunited again. So it's a temporary time. What he's saying is that you don't have to grieve because you will be reunited again. Now, for us, again, the situation is a little bit different. We're talking about the coronavirus here. What Paul would be saying to us, I believe, is that it's, you don't need to have the anxiety and worry as, as those that do not have hope because you have hope. Uh, we have hope. That we, doesn't it, we're not perfect. We're, we're human. We're going to have stress. We're going to have anxious, be anxious. We're going to have worry. But we don't have to worry as people that don't have hope because we know who is in control. I like to think of it this way. You know, I've got two kids, uh, a daughter who's five, about just turned five, about turned five, and a son who just turned two. Now, my two kids are fortunate, not because Christina and I are awesome, but they have two parents, a mother and a father who love them, who care for them, um, who can take care of all of their needs. Even when life is uncertain and, uh, and life maybe is not the way we might want it to look like in the moment, they have no idea what it's like not to be taken care of, right? Because they're in a, a, a home uh, with two parents that are able to care for their needs. Now, if you, you, you compare their situation to, let's say, a child in the foster care system, who may have to go from house to house. And when things are hard and, we, and things are difficult, they have uh, no history of being able to trust that things are actually going to be okay. So the difference there is that though a child in a foster care system doesn't know who to trust, has no hope for the future because they haven't experienced a loving family. And see, this is how, why the gospel is so important in times like this. The gospel is that you and I were orphaned. You and I were like children in a foster care situation who did not have a solid home. But God, because he's rich in mercy, adopted us, brought us, brought us into his family. Let me be clear here. The only reason that any of us can have hope in the midst of this situation is because of Jesus. Right? We have no idea how it's going to work. We are not promised that things are going to go well for us. This could be our new reality for a long time. We have no idea that financial impacts are huge. Many of you are already feeling them. 
right? We have no idea what's going to happen. And the gospel is that God loves us no matter what is going on, no matter what we might be doing, or no matter what might be happening to us. That God loves us so much that he came and Jesus came to live a perfect life, die the death that we deserved. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, everybody who trusts and follows in him, even with our doubts, even with our confusion, even with our worry, even with our anxiety, can experience a relationship with him. So the gospel is that God adopts us into his family where we have a loving father, a loving God who is in control. And even if things don't always go the way we want them to in this life, we know this is not the end. We do not worry as people who don't have hope because we know who is in control. And so to be clear, void of that, void of a relationship with God, you and I should be extremely worried about what is going to happen. But if we actually know the king of the universe, if we are actually a part of his family, we can trust knowing that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he can use even difficult times for his good. The gospel, as we say here around New City Church often, is that because of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. So as at your home, maybe your kids are driving you crazy. Maybe you're not as productive as you would like to be. Uh, God's value to you or your value to God is not based on how productive you are or how awesome or how poorly life is going. It's based on who Christ is and what he has done for you. If you are in Christ, the invitation is this, that you have nothing to prove, that you have no one to impress. That is what Christ has done for us. And so as we get to the end here, all that to being said, I want to give you four quick points of what, how do we answer this question of what should we do when life doesn't go as planned? What do we do? Here are four quick things that I think we can take away from what we read in these verses. Number one, don't be surprised, right? Don't be surprised what is happening. What are we told? That even in our plans, we should consider God because we have no idea what might happen. And so the more we consider God and give our plans up to him, the better we can face things, face life when it changes because we know we were never in control anyway. So don't be surprised when life doesn't go as planned. If anything, this coronavirus is showing us and I think realigning us to that fact. Uh, Number two, don't worry like those who have no hope. I'm not saying don't worry. I'm not saying you can't be anxious. I'm not saying how dare you or I in moments of fear wonder what is going to happen. But we can do that differently because we actually have hope and we know who is king and we know who is in control. So don't worry like those who don't have hope, whether it's the coronavirus or maybe small things when life gets back to normal, when life does not go as planned, we can be anxious, we can be worried, but not as people who don't have hope because we know who is in control. Number three, pursue God and be honest with him. Pursue God during this time. Like this is not a time to retreat. This is not a time to not spend time reading our Bibles. This is not a time to not try to communicate with people as best we can and encourage one another in our faith. You should pursue God and be honest. He is a gracious and caring God. He is not looking down uh, from his throne and saying, I cannot believe that, that human beings are freaked out about coronavirus. It is a very normal thing for us to be afraid. So pursue him and be honest with him. He is there for you. And then finally, make new plans with God in mind. I think one of the things, again, we can learn from this is that even in this coronavirus quarantine, self, you know, isolation and all that sort of thing happening, we're making, every day we're making new plans. But even when life one day gets back to normal, as we make new plans or not being stuck in the house, we should make these plans with God in mind, offering up to him. It's not say to say that we have to like fast for three days and do the, and pray for 24 hours before every decision that we make. But we ask God, we give it up to God, we make decisions knowing he is in control. Uh, I want to leave you with this and all that to say, here's the point. Again, how do we face life when it doesn't go as planned? What are we supposed to do? Here's what I want us to, to leave with, if anything, over our time together, and that's this. That what surprises you never surprises God. 
What I want us to know as we end our time together is that what surprises you and I does not surprise God, that he is in control. He is over all things. And that is why you and I can face this situation, face the coronavirus and all of its implications uh, with strength and with hope. Because what came as a massive surprise to us, even last week, and how it has radically shifted how we are living our lives, it was not a surprise to him. And since it's not a surprise to him, we can trust him even in the midst of difficult times. Again, what surprises you, what surprises me, never surprises God, which shows us that we can trust him. And so as I end, here's what I want to say. Uh, if you come to New City, if you call New City at home, you know we often end our services by saying, you are sent. And the point behind that is to say, now go and live your faith. This is not something that we just come and hear a pastor speak and then pray sometimes. No, we're supposed to live our faith. We're supposed to love the world the way Christ has loved us so that as many people as possible can experience Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And so even in our self-isolation, being at home, not being around nearly as many people as normal, remember, New City family, that you and I are still sent that we can uh, do things online, that we can encourage one another. You can share some of the resources that New City is, pointing, uh, is putting out over these weeks and months to come, that you and I still have the obligation or, the, or, the, or the, uh, the excitement to partner along with God, to pray for those who are in need, to practically seek out ways that we can help and to do whatever we can to help as many people as possible see Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And so again, as I end our time together, remember what surprises you never surprises God. And this is our time to show the world that God is good, that God, is, that God cares, and that he is going to use his people to impact others. And so as you sit at home or wherever you may be watching or listening to this, maybe not around as many people, remember, you and I are sent with a mission that does not stop just because of the virus being spread.